0: Seen it this morning. We get to close out our series resolve today, and uh, I hope in the last couple of weeks you've had uh, more time to spend in God's Word and more time to spend in prayer. And if, it, if you've let the ball drop on that, don't give up. Okay? Jump back in on it. Get going. Don't quit. You know, it's, uh, there's still plenty of time to be enjoying what God's doing this year and following what He wants for your life. You know, um, If we take these two past two Sundays together, what we've really been talking about is pursuing God, pursuing Him by listening to Him through His Word, and pursuing Him by talking to Him in prayer. But there's another area that I think we need to talk about if we're serious about that pursuit, and that is we need to talk about today resolving to deal with our disobedience. Because all of us, we struggle with that. That struggle's real, right? Remember uh, what Paul said in Romans 7? He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. I mean, you read that, and you put yourself there, you can just feel the struggle in those words. And it's so much like what all of us experience, you know, so for, for many of us, it's not that we have some ongoing sin in our life, it's just that there's sin and then we deal with that sin and then sure enough, a week or two later or sometime later, that temptation comes back to us and then we struggle again with it and we go through that over and over again. For others, there's an ongoing sin. There's an area of our life maybe no one else knows about. You've kept it secret. And you've tried to deal with it, but boy you're 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 tired, and uh, it just makes you sick to think about it. You feel such guilt and then there's others of us who uh we say we're Christians, but we're just flat out living in direct disobedience to god's word and and it's not hidden at all you know we're We're choosing a wrong, sinful direction in our lives and doesn't really bother us that it's not what God wants. It, 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 you know, it's more about what I want. Well, wherever we're at with our disobedience, there's some truth in the book of Hebrews that I want us to think about today. And, and I love the book of Hebrews. See, he's dealing with an issue. He's dealing with people who are trying to decide in their pursuit of God if they're going to be obedient, some of them trying to decide if they're going to pursue God at all, or if they're going to walk away. And as he gives us a logical argument throughout the book as to why they should continue to follow, I think his argument really is useful for us in dealing with whatever level of disobedience we find ourselves in. And basically that argument goes like this. Why should you be obedient? You should be obedient because first of all, there's no better option. He he makes the point by pointing out to them the supremacy of Christ over all the options they might have chosen Jesus is superior over all of them, and he's superior over whatever we might choose. Whatever we think is, we're going to get involved with, and it. it's going to bring us fulfillment or peace or happiness, whatever it is, good or bad, it's inferior to Jesus. It's a good reason to be obedient. I mean, why not go with the best? It only makes logical sense. But the argument goes further. He goes further to warn about the danger of making the wrong choice, warnings about what will happen to those who choose another option, warnings that are still active today, by the way, warnings about discipline that are serious, God's discipline for us. If we're His, He disciplines us out of love so He can draw us back, discipline that isn't enjoyable but He does it because He loves us. But even worse is the, is the thought that there would be no discipline. Because the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to us, if, there's no, if we're going on in direct disobedience to God and there's no discipline, he's pointing out that that would mean we're not really God's at all. We don't belong to Him. And so it's a serious issue. To walk in direct disobedience to God's word either way. Because one way you're dealing with his discipline, and another way it's pointing out your lack of relationship with him. And then he talks about how that following Jesus by faith, well, by faith is a way better way. I hate it when those mics do this to us. and the momentum's building through chapter 11. If you know anything about Hebrews 11, you know it's this this list of of Old Testament individuals who choose to serve God by faith, and, and with God working through them, He accomplishes great things. People like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Rahab and Moses and and more. And, and, And as he closes the chapter, he closes with these words, and they're important words for us to remember in dealing with our own disobedience. He says this, and all these, all these people he's been talking about, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. It's like he's saying, hey, all these people that I just mentioned, they did it. They lived by faith, they ran the race, and we've got something even better than they had. So it can be done. We can live lives that are pleasing to God. I think the point is a little bit like what happened with the four-minute mile. You remember Roger Bannister, 1954, you know the story? You know, as far as we know in history, no one had ever broken the four-minute mile barrier, right? Nobody had done it. Over all of history. And then Roger Bannister does it in 1954. Do you know how long it took for that to be broken again? 46 days. 46 days, how is that possible? How can it not be done in all of history, and then one guy does it, and then 46 later, another guy does it? And you know how many people have done it again since? Thousands. I saw one number that said 10 to 20 American men. 10 to 20 American men, Travis, you would probably know this, wouldn't you? 10 to 20 American men break that four-minute mile barrier every year. It's not to count all the men in the world, just in America how is it possible that that could be happening? Well, I think what happened there was this. I think initially, at first at least, it was just the mental barrier, right? It was just getting beyond the fact that this can be done. And I think it's similar to what's going on here in Hebrews 11. Here's the writer of Hebrews telling us, all these, look back, all these people did it, they ran the race. It can be done. And we've got something even better. We've got life in Christ, so we can do this. When you're dealing with disobedience, you've got to get beyond the mental barrier of, I can't, because you can And chapter 12 brings us to the apex of that truth, this great picture of the Christian life as a race and how we should run it. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, we're in this epic race. It's a race that we should run in a certain way. And the writers point out to us, we should run this race, first of all, with freedom. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, This is our motivation. And and when people read this verse, they, they ask this question, okay, witnesses, in what way are these people our witnesses? Are they testifying to us about their lives and how they lived? Or are they watching us and in that way witnessing us in our lives? Normally, this word's used Like the first option, it's used in a trial where someone is testified as a witness, so it'd be them testifying. But the picture here is clearly, I am going to die here. (laughs) The picture here is clearly of an athletic event, right? They're spectators, they're witnessing in that way. My point would be, why can't it be both? Why can't it be that their lives, clearly the the writer of Hebrews has, has told us about their lives to speak to us, but then they're spectators of our lives, and can't that be a motivation as well? It would be like if you were a baseball player, and you were going to go out to play a game, And you know that in the stands that day will be people like Maris and Mantle and Ruth and DiMaggio. Knowing that those guys, how they played, how good they were, looking at them, and then knowing that they're watching you play, that'd be motivation to play your best, wouldn't it? I think that's the picture here. They're testifying to us. They're cheering us on. And and with these peoples, these great heroes of our faith, and along with the fact that we have something better, we run the race. And we should run it with freedom. As he tells us here, to lay aside every encumbrance. Like an athlete who strips himself of anything, any clothing that would impede his his performance. We're supposed to be aggressive at dealing with whatever it is in life that's slowing our pursuit of God down. I'm talking about anything. That would include things that aren't necessarily sin, Uh, amoral things that are neither good or bad in themselves. It could be You know, the baggage that you carry around, things that distract you from the race, a bad relationship, comparing yourself to others, living for the approval of others, or it could be things that are just eating up your time and energy, you know, TV, sports, social media, your phone. Anything that's distracting us, think about it, my, my opinions, my actions, my attitudes, are they impeding my race? And we, we can even take things that are good and let them become something that's distracting us from running. And I think the, you know, the most obvious example of that is family. We can either see family as part of our race You know, where we're submitting our family and our decisions to the will of God as a family and our resources and our honoring to God through our family, or we can take this good thing and we can let it become a distraction in the race, when in order to please family, we make decisions about how we spend our resources and our time in ways that aren't pleasing to Him. And family becomes the priority of our lives instead of God Himself. So what's slowing you down? And then the Bible moves specifically to sin, the sin that so easily entangles us, and it does that, doesn't it? It, it does, happens very easily. We, we take a step, and then before we know it, we're wrapped up in it. And of course, the list of those sins could be long, Right? think about a few issues that a, a lot of people struggle with. People sometimes struggle with unforgiveness, right? They, uh, they're unwilling to forgive someone, and, and they, they carry that around, this unwillingness to forgive. And they'd say, well, you don't know what that person did to me. And that may be true, but we do know this, that Jesus offered that person forgiveness? You know, we, who are we not to? And in light of the fact that He commands us to forgive, that's not really an option, is it? Unforgiveness gossip, you know, like sometimes just telling the story, that one little bit of information, a sort of puts somebody else a little bit down and raises yourself up a little bit. All the all the lust issues. Lusting after people, lusting after things. We live in a culture that's completely out of control on that. How about worry? Just being anxious, fretting. Fear. It's a controlling factor for so many. The list could go on and on. How do we win over temptation? Well, we know this. It helps to know, as we've already talked about, that others have done it before us, that they've lived our lives that are honoring to God. And, and the fact that we have something better, that something better is our life in Christ, that includes things, it includes things like the fact that we've been set free from sin, right? That's what Romans 6 tells us we've been set free so that we are no longer slaves to sin, and we can make the choice to say no. So when we are being tempted, we have the option as followers of Christ, we have been given the ability to say no, the strength to do that. We've, the chains have been broken. Romans 6 tells us, do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but as instruments of righteousness to God. You can make that decision, you can take that step. And so my encouragement to you is this, spend some time looking into God's Word. I mean, if God's Word is what we said it was a couple weeks ago, that it's useful for training, excuse me, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, if it's useful for those things, then let's make sure we're using it that way. Remember how Jesus responded to temptation in the wilderness? What did He do? He responded with Scripture, right? So the, the greatest weapon you have in your fight against temptation and sin is the Word of God. So use it. Go to passages. go to Romans 6, and spend, spend the next 30 days reading Romans 6. Read it every day, once a day, every day. And by the time you're done with those 30 days, you'll sort of have a mental picture of what it says on that, in, that, in that chapter on the, on, the, on the printed page. And you'll be able to remember the thoughts that are there. Meditate on it. Memorize it if you need to. Spend time. Memorize the entire chapter. You can do that. Spend time in that passage or other passages that are talking about forgiveness. Talk about, look at Psalm 51. Look at Psalm 32. Use God's Word. You have it available to you to help fight temptation. We also have the Spirit of God, part of what we have in Christ that the Old Testament saints didn't have was the Spirit of God living in us, living in us and producing things that are pleasing to God. We have that opportunity because He has chosen to live in us. So it's no longer just us trying to gather up all of our energy to get this thing done. The Spirit of God living in us produces in us lives that are honoring to Christ, so we can say no, we can in- disentangle ourselves from this sin and do what's right. We have a way of escape, as 1 Corinthians ten thirteen talks about, you know, we know that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans 8, 1. No condemnation. That's great news, right? There's no, we can take all the past and the sin that we feel so defeated by and know that it's taken care of. It's done. So it's not just the history of all those people of the Old Testament and the saints since then, but there's also our own personal history. It's been taken care of. So we don't have to walk around feeling defeated and feeling unforgiven because God has forgiven us. We are no longer under judgment. And we know that as we confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us our sins. Knowing all these great truths should encourage us. I'm gonna lose my voice here. Got one more sermon to preach too. Should strengthen us, lay that sin aside Say no to it. Walk away from it. Run away from it. Deal with your disobedience. Run the race with freedom. Freedom. Set anything and everything aside that would slow you down. Run with freedom. You can. You can. It's good news. Secondly, run to finish. The picture here in Hebrews is not of a sprint, it's a marathon. That's why it tells us to run with endurance. You know the, the story of a marathon, right? Pheidippides, this Greek guy, is, is told to run from Marathon to Athens to announce the victory of the Greeks at Marathon. And so he runs the distance. He makes it to Athens. He announces the good news of this victory. And then he collapses and dies. What we are called to is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It requires us, and requires from us self denial and discipline and exertion and persevering in order to finish. We're gonna have to call into every spiritual faculty we have available to us. Because we want to finish. Because we've got good news to deliver as well. We've got the good news of Jesus' victory for us that we need to tell others about. These victories are worth us running to the end. How are we gonna run the race? Will we run the finish? 1 Corinthians 9 tells us, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? This is before participation trophies. (laughs) Only one receives a prize, run in such a way that you may win. See, we aren't looking for just a participation trophy, we're running to win, and the running isn't just about effort, it's also about completion. Remember what Paul said at the end of his life? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. It's all about finishing. Run to finish. Never, ever give up. You know, at the Olympics, the glory sometimes goes to those who don't necessarily win, but they find a way to finish. We've heard the stories, or maybe we've seen some, In in 1908, Durando Pietri, an Italian runner, running the marathon, makes it to the stadium. He's completely exhausted. As he's rounding the stadium, he falls. He falls five times until finally one of the officials actually get up, runs out. Helps him to the end. He's disqualified, but he becomes an international celebrity because of his will to finish. Think about what happened in '92 with Derek Redmond. Remember, he was running the 400 meters and he pulled a hamstring. And maybe you remember watching that and seeing. What happened there is he's stumbling and falling, trying with everything he's got. And his remember his dad running down the stands? Runs down, puts his arm around his son, picks him up, helps him to finish. It's his will to get done, to do what you've been called to do. And then there was 1968, Tanzania's John Stephen Akwari In Mexico City, his right leg's bloody and bandaged. All the other finishers are, are long done. Darkness is falling. The crowd has dwindled, and he makes his way into the stadium. This is what it looked like. Mm-hmm. country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race, sent me 5,000 miles to finish. Never, ever give up. God didn't save you to start the race. He saved you to finish it. Run to finish, and then run with focus. Right here, tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's not some overly simplistic answer, by the way. That's not some mystical or emotional goal for us to try to reach. Fixing your eyes on Him, we do that because He ran the race perfectly. The cloud of witnesses, they're great. We're thankful for their testimony. It encourages us, but our eyes are not fixed on many. They're fixed on one, or they should be. Fixed on the author, the originator, the one who cut the trail for this race. The one who began it all. Fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter. The one who completed it, the one who ran the race himself and finished it, it bring he also brings us along to the finish. Remember, as he hung on the cross, he cried out, "It is finished." He ran his race. He endured the cross. The the cross to the Jews a curse. To the Romans, it was a punishment for subhumans. It was it was degrading. despising the shame. You know, we hear that phrase, despising the shame, and we think, well, it sounds like he hated the shame. That's not really the, the point. The, the idea is, to, is that he disregarded it. The shame, all of the shame of hanging on that cross, all of that entailed, he disregarded it in the sense that, that there was nothing to him in comparison To being obedient to his Father. The shame was nothing in comparison to being offered in sacrifice for us. He despised it. He disregarded it because he wanted us to know his Father. The writer continues in verse 3, and he says, for consider him, Consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Him, examine Him, look at Him as He hangs on a cross, as He endured it, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The cross, we, we, we love the fact that on the cross, salvation was, was granted to us. That's the most important thing. But the cross also is an example to us. Jesus suffering on the cross is an example so that we don't quit. Are you discouraged? You feel like everything is caving in. You can't seem to overcome that temptation. It keeps coming around, and you constantly seem not to beat it. It seems to beat you. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. And then verse four, which is one of my favorite verses. It's like grabbing us and shaking us. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. It's like, hey, look at Jesus. Look at what he endured. And know this, you're not bleeding yet. It's like, hey, don't baby yourself. Look at Jesus. Look at what he lost. Look at what he gave. Run the race, run with freedom, get rid of the sin. Today's the day. It doesn't matter what level of disobedience you're, you're on. If, you, you know, if you're in that sort of cycle thing of the struggle, we're all going to struggle, and we're going to do that until the day where this life is over. But that doesn't give us um, reason to give in. So, if you're in the struggle and, and you're facing temptation now, deal with that sin now or if you've got ongoing sin, ongoing sin that you've uh, sort of kept hidden and nobody seems to know about, you just got this ongoing sin in your life and, and, and you've been feeling guilty and you've been feeling defeated and you're tired of it, today's the day. Deal with that sin. You've been set free. Look at Jesus. Or if you've been blatantly going your own way, in spite of what God's Word says, you've just been doing it your way, I want to point out to you again, remember, whatever you're choosing, it is inferior to following Jesus. Turn from it turn to Him. Run the race. And if you've never turned to Him before for forgiveness, you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, Yeah, I'm not sure I've, that's taken care of, that my sin's been taken care of. You can take care of that right now. You can turn to Him, admitting that you've got sin in your life, that you are a sinner, and that you need forgiveness, and you're asking, based on Jesus' death on the cross, Where he paid the penalty for you and your sin, you're asking God to forgive you and to come into your life. It's just telling him that. So, my encouragement is to you, tell him. And at the moment you you express that to God, he comes into your life, your sin is taken care of for the rest of eternity. But if you're a follower of Christ today's a new day. God grants us mercy every day. Wherever you're at in your walk with Him, and in this area of disobedience, never, ever give up. Turn to Him today. Keep running the race. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? Father in heaven, we thank You for Your love, love that uh, was expressed so clearly to us through um, the offering of Your Son on the cross, love that changes us and empowers us and encourages us. God, today we want to be right before You, and we want to have dealt with our disobedience, and so we resolve today, God, uh, to run the race to set aside our sin, to lay it aside run this race with freedom. God, help us to do that. Help us to be faithful. God, I pray that we keep our eyes on Jesus. Father, and for anyone who might be here who's never taken that step, God, I pray they take that step today. They've trust in You. Know what it is to have their sin t- taken care of forgiven, paid for, for all eternity. We love you, God. We love you because you first loved us. We pray that you'd use us this week to deliver the message of victory in Christ. We pray as Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.